are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou hast the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the trade in precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And it hid their eyes from my Sabbath. I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey, to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dabbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, and divining lies under them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the head, and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord. And now let us bow our heads to prayer. And our Heavenly Father, I'd rather die before my eyes and face this congregation and to face them and not have a conscious awareness of your presence and power upon my ministry. I think I know how George Whitfield must have felt when he prayed, Dear Lord, someday I'll be like thee. If I'm to be like thee someday, why not now when I can be a blessing to the most people? Jesus, I sure wish I was like you. I sure wish you were your preacher. The best I know how I yield myself for the absolute control of the Holy Spirit. Help me to thank my thoughts after thee this morning. And to say, dear Lord, exactly what ought to be said. Not only say exactly what ought to be said, but, dear Lord, I'd like to say it in the way it ought to be said. I'm not an orator. My vocabulary is very limited. I'll do the best I can. I pray you'll help me. And Jesus, even if the message is not all that I want it to be, I pray the result will be far beyond my expectations. Take whatever I say this morning and burn down in somebody's heart here a desire to do something for Christ, meaningful and lasting. And I haven't done much. 
Oh, God, if you're doing somebody's heart what you did in my heart in 1961 in the sword conference in Atlanta, Georgia, I'd feel it didn't worth my time to come here. Somebody'd go out and begin to win souls and build a larger church in this state. I need you. I want your blessing. I ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a sermon in this week's issue of the sword entitled, Wanted a Man. Somebody asked me yesterday what I'd be speaking on. I said, I do not know. I'll be praying about it. But I'm speaking this morning on God looking for a man, taken from that same passage. It won't be the same sermon. Verse 30, the Bible said, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. If you notice what I was reading a moment ago, you will find that in the day in which God is looking for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, it's a very wicked day. It is about the worst picture that I can imagine of any day. For instance, in verse 24, you'll discover it was a day of uncleanness. The Bible said the land is not cleansed. I cannot tell you of all the immorality and sin. I would not have time for my sermon. I think you know we're living in a day of uncleanness. In the second place, it was a day of barrenness. Verse 24, he had not rained upon the land. The indication being their crops were dried up. It was barren. With all the people we're winning to Christ today, I still think that as far as the Christian world is concerned, we're still barren. <laughs> if you line all the unsaved people up in a single file, they'll circle the globe 30 times and the line goes 20 miles every day you live. According to the statistics I read three years ago, and they're probably outdated by now. We're winning some, but I read if we could freeze the population of the world like it is today, so no one else was born and no one else died, and one people at the same rate we won them last year, it would take 320 years to win the United States of America to Christ, and it would take 4,000 years to win the world to Christ. So wait a minute, you can't freeze the population like it is. May I hurry on and say it was the day when the lines of distinction had been erased. Verse 26, said, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. The lines of distinction were erased. We have to be very careful. But everything like it is in the country today, if we're not careful, we'll change our attitude and mind about some things God said are wrong. The situation never determines what is right or wrong. The Word of God determines what is right or wrong. If the Bible said it's wrong today, it'll be wrong a hundred years from now. One of the glorious things about truth is it never changes. It stands immovable. May I say to you that it was a day when there was the clinching among the prophets and priests. The preachers were not living like they ought to live. Verse 26 said, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. 
and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. I think preachers are the hope of our world. I, I don't say that because I'm prejudiced. I just honestly believe that. I think every problem we have in the United States of America can be traced back to the pulpits of America. And I do not believe there's a problem in this country that cannot be solved with the right kind of spirit-filled Bible preaching. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Whether we believe it or not, we are. It was a, lie. It was a day when there was detention among the prophets. It was also a day of dishonesty. Verse 27 says, And to destroy souls to get dishonest gains. This is all a sermon within itself. But I want to show you another thing. It was a day of false prophets. Verse 28 said, And her prophets had dabbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. That's one reason I fear the charismatic movement. When somebody stands and speaks in what they call a super-duper heavenly language and someone else interprets it, if you've ever listened to it, it's always, Thus saith the Lord. And the message coming to the congregation through the person supposedly speaking in another language is a message directly from God. And if I understand it right, they're putting on the same level with the Bible, and that's very, very dangerous. You're not to add to the Bible. Every false religion in the world is built off the Bible plus somebody's additional revelation. The Bible is God's revelation to man. There'll never be any more. This is it. You may get illumination on the already given revelation that was penned down by verbal inspiration, but you don't get new revelation. I sometimes read a verse and say, God revealed so-and-so to me. He didn't reveal it to me. He revealed it to the Bible writer. I just found it. It was there yesterday. This was a very bad day in which they lived, and it's not too much unlike our day. And I'm convinced with all my ransom soul that what God really needs is men. And I don't think I'd uh, do injustice if I say he needs some women too. But I'd use the word men. I don't see women to feel excluded as I use the word man throughout the family. You know, there's a sense in which all through the Bible God's looking for a man. For instance, when the Midianites oppressed the people of God and everyone was afraid, God needed a man. And he found a very unlikely man. He found Gideon, who was the least in his father's household. And Gideon, with his 300, conquered their enemies and vindicated the cause of God. When David the king had sinned, committed adultery and murder, God needed a man to put David in his place, and God found his man in Nathan. When he pointed his bony finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man, God needed a man. When Pharaoh pressed the people of God, God needed a man to deliver the children of Israel, and he found his man in a stumbling, stuttering Moses, very unlikely prospect. And 400 years ago, when Romanism ruled the world, God needed a man to preach salvation by grace through faith. And he found his man in Martin Luther climbing the so-called 28 sacred stairs. 
And God seemed to throw that verse, Romans 1, 17, into his face. Now the judge shall live by faith. And Martin Luther got up and began the Reformation. God found his man. In the days of prohibition, when the whiskey ran like water, God needed a man. He found his man and a baseball player, a very unlikely prospect for a preacher. But he found his man in old Billy Sunday. He used to go to the platform and push his sleeves up and look down through the cracks of the platform and say, where is that devil? Then he would say, I dare you to come out between the cracks of that platform. If you do, I'll give you three of the fastest rounds you ever had. And old Billy Sunday said to him on Sunday, when I'm dead, I want you to skin me and tan my hides and make drum covers out of my hide. And I want you to march up and down the streets of America and beat those drums and tell them Billy Sunday hated the hellish liquor traffic. It'd be as good to have a few more of them around. I wish he was back. I'd, I'd be glad to set up his tent and carry water to him and press his fans. He started a campaign in Pittsburgh in January. He stayed there through March. He stayed there over three months, according to one book I read. And while he was there, he had over 48,000 conversions. And one church got a 1,000 members for baptism during that meeting. And the building wouldn't seat but about 200. And one of the interesting things was they had 650 less people in the jails of Allegheny County during that campaign than they had had during the same three months period the previous year. They had a revival meeting. God found his man. I, I think God is still looking for men. I think God found his man when he was looking for somebody to start an evangelistic revival weekly to report news of the churches across America that were accomplishing things for God and winning souls and stand for the fundamentals of faith and promote soul winning and revival. I think he found his man when he found Dr. John Wright. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but you know, when God looks at a man, he doesn't see men like we see men. For well, we look on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart and some of God's best men would be our most unlikely prospects. And we would have never chosen Shamgar with his ox gold or stumbling, stuttering Moses or Gideon the least in his father's household or David the overlooked son who was not thought by his father to be a prospect for king. But one of the most encouraging things to me is that God will use anybody if they have the right qualifications, and it's not always a good education. I'm not against education. I, I, I'm called Dr. Hudson. I have two honorary doctor's degrees. I didn't earn either one of them. I retract that I earned both of them. You worked as hard as I did the last 21 years. You ought to have six of them. But I didn't get them in the sense that they call earning them. They gave me a doctor divinity. I thought it qualified me to make candy when I got it. Dr. Howells gave me a doctor of humanity. It's, it's abbreviated HUM period B, and I thought it stood for humdinger when I first saw it. God seeth not as man seeth. Somebody said, don't judge a man by the clothes he wears. God made one, the tailor made the other. Don't judge a man by his family relations. Cain had good family relations. Don't judge a man by his speech. The parrot can talk. Speech is on an estimate of sound. 
Don't judge a man by his failures in life. Two men, some men are too honest to succeed. I don't know how to do that last statement, but it's in the point. But we judge, God doesn't judge like we judge. May I go on to say that while we're looking for better methods, God's looking for better men. While we're looking for a new recipe, God's looking for quality ingredients. And I want to say something. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, I want every preacher to get there. God doesn't bless a ministry. God blesses a man. And a man builds a ministry. And in most cases, the ministry becomes a monument. I don't mean this irreverent or disrespectful, but I must tell you that when I heard of the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia, I was reading books by R.A. Toy, and he made reference to the Baptist Tabernacle. I thought, I'd like to see the tabernacle, and I went downtown to see it. I walked through those steep balconies. It seemed like it was a little steep kicking roost up there. The main floor had been redecorated with new pews, but to me it looked like nobody had been in the balconies in years. And I thought, what happened to the tabernacle? This used to be the conference center in Atlanta, Georgia. I have the notes on a 31-day Bible conference they had there with G. Campbell Morgan and, and Dr. C.I. Schofield and many, many others. I couldn't believe the array of speakers that was there. And I went in, and I thought, oh, what happened to this place? God never was blessing the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. He was blessing Lindsey Bolton. God wasn't necessarily blessing the Mill Road Baptist Church in Garland, Texas. He was blessing a man called Dr. Jack Howe. And when Dr. Jack Howell went to Hammond, Indiana, the same blessings that had been on Miller Road Baptist Church went on First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. Not that God's blessings were all on the present past at Miller Road, but I'm trying to make a point here. We sometimes say, God, bless this work. Bless this work. That's fine. But after the work is the man. The man builds the work. He surrenders. God can't bless chairs and buildings and carpets and chandeliers. God has to bless people. When I bend my ear, say amen or go home now. Whenever a church or any organization fails, it has been due mainly to inadequate leadership. Dr. Lee Robertson has been quoted over and over as saying, everything rises or falls on its leadership. And I have said to preachers everywhere I go, you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. If you want a soul winning church, you've got to be a soul winning preacher. If you want tithing members, you've got to be a tithing preacher. If you want pure members, you've got to be a pure preacher. Your people never live any better or work any harder or give any more sacrificially than you give. You are the key. Like it or lump it, you're the key. Somebody said that big church in First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana is built around Dr. Jack Howells. And I said, yes, it is. And that little bitty failure of yours is built around you. By their fruit you shall know them, and the fruit of a Christian is not love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and kindness. The fruit of a Christian is of a Christian. Proverbs 11:30 said, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Whatever a church or any organization fails, it has been due mainly to inadequate leadership. And where any church or organization succeeds, it has been due mainly to good leadership. You usually have a man, a movement, and a monument. I cannot go on with that. God always supplies the right people. 
when he gets the right leader. And I think God is looking for a man in this Bible conference, and I want to say six things, if time permits, about the kind of man for whom God is looking. May I say in the first place, God's looking for a man of vision and volition. Somebody said vision is the power to see that which is invisible, and volition is the power to make the invisible material. When I was first called a preacher, I couldn't tell you the way I dreamed. If I told the preachers what I was thinking, they would have laughed at me. They seemed to think it was wrong for a preacher to have any ambition or any vision or any drives or any goals. They thought it was fleshly and carnal. But I have a philosophy that you may never do everything you dream you'll do, but you'll never do any more than you dream so dream. And dream big, it costs no more to shoot at eagles than it does at stumps. Aim high. Sometimes fellows would come by and say to me, I bet you never thought you'd ever be a pastor of the church before. And I could have very powerfully said, no, I never thought about it. I, I just went to bed one night and woke up the next morning and it was over here. But I'm going to tell you, it didn't happen exactly like that. Sure, when God called me to preach, I said to Pete Hardy, a preacher buddy of mine, who wasn't a preacher then, I said, Pete, God called me to preach, and in the association we're in, Pete, they don't have full-time preachers, they don't pay them. Setting out on an old tree, three o'clock in the morning, still talking hour after hour, I said, Pete, I believe someday I'm going to do nothing but preach. I won't be running around driving trucks, hauling mail, chasing bad accounts for some homecoming. Pete, someday I'll do nothing but preach. He looked at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm, as he didn't know what to believe. But in 1961, I left the post office and said, I've done nothing but preach and win souls. I never intend to do anything else as long as I live, if I starve to death. And I told my wife, if I starve to death, don't you let the devil have the joy of knowing that I ever was hungry one minute. You tell him I died fasting, praying for the conversion of sinners. You mark this down. Things don't just happen. Nothing just happens. I get a little nervous when teachers say, well, he's doing it because he's got a good location. Location has nothing to do with failure or success. Peter called all night in the same boat with the same nets and was a total failure. Hour after hour, didn't catch a single fish. He didn't need a new location to become a success. All he needed was to do it according to the word of God. Jesus said, casting it on the right, and Peter said, I've called all night, I've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net, and he let it down at the word of God, and he caught a net full. You go back to that same little two-by-four church with four-dollar-a-week offerings and nobody ever saved, and you start doing it according to the Word of God, and there's a God in heaven, you'll succeed in the same place where you failed before. It's doing it like the Bible said it. I've cried and cried and walked the street and quoted to God Psalm 126 and told him what page it was in his Scofield Bible so he could find it. I said, you promised? If I go forth and weep, bearing precious seed, I'll doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing my seeds with me. Now, where are you, God? You promised it. Where are you? 
wasn't long before I came back bringing my sheaves rejoicing. We started baptizing converts. And for the last 14 years, I was pastor that we baptized converts every week for 14 years. And led the state in baptism the last three or four years, I was pastor that. Things don't just happen. Every invention from the mouse trap to the most complicated computer was once only a blueprint in somebody's soul. And nobody in the world saw it, but the inventor saw it long before anybody else saw it. And he kept on seeing 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 it till by and by everybody saw it. I saw Forest Hills Baptist Church before anybody else ever knew there was a Forest Hills Baptist Church. I saw this congregation this morning many, many years ago when I used to drive behind the stirring wheel of a Hudson Jet automobile and visualize thousands of people sitting out in front of me and I'd just preach and preach and preach. I'd scream and holler and spit all over the windshield. I preached to thousands of people out over the hood of that Hudson Jet automobile and then I gave a wonderful invitation. And literally hundreds climbed over the hood and came down the front seat, and I dealt with them one by one, led them all to Christ. If you've never seen that, you'll never do that. You sow a thought and you reap a desire. You sow a desire and you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a, uh, a work. And you sow a work and you reap a, a success. I change it around some. But it all began with a desire. Sure, I used to dream it. I used to go to the associational meeting. We had 20-something churches in the association. And we wouldn't have this man in the associational minute. Just maybe 100, 150. And I used to sit in the back of the building, passing the smallest church in the association, 25 or 30 in Sunday school, one baptism a year. And I sat there and I said, they don't know it, but someday they'll hear from me. So I'd have said, hey, I'd have been run out of the building. I, I don't have much, I don't like this statement that a preacher is biggest when he's hatched. He's like a wasp. I don't like that statement. That somehow throws a wet blanket on the young preacher who dreams and has vision. Every time I try to share my excitement and vision with somebody, they throw a wet blanket on me. One guy said, well, you're young, you'll get over it. <laughs> That's the problem now. Too many got over it already. They must have been a sale on wet blankets in the Cab County where I live. Everybody had 15 or 20. Nobody said you can do it when you can't do it. Nobody ever did it on with that church. They had nothing but fight, fast, and fast started. You may as well live, leave, and get another one. And I said, just for that, I'm going to do it anyhow. I went to a commerce like this in 1961. Dr. Howard preached and told about the great soul winning churches and Dr. Rice and the others. And I've never heard about Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, and I lived in Ireland. I didn't know there was a church that baptized a thousand converts a year, which they had been doing every year up until that time. No more now. I couldn't believe it. I said, it has to be wrong. I've got to go see the fellow. I want to see how he parts his hair. I later learned that Dr. Howells didn't part his hair. He placed it. He has three hairs. He wraps up and lays on top of his head. But it's not what's on the head it counts. It's what's in the head it counts. God made some heads and they were ugly and he put hair on them. 
And when he preached in that conference, I saw it then. He said, why doesn't somebody do it in Atlanta? Why doesn't somebody do it in Atlanta? Why doesn't somebody do it in Atlanta? And I said, <laughs> and I said to the guy, I said, if you'll sit down and shut up, I'll do it. Two weeks after that, I resigned my job at the post office. My church was paying me $75 a month. Not a week, a month. My household was $95.20 a month. And my ten folks said I'd starve to death. My wife said we would starve to death. She's here this morning. She's evidence we're not hungry. <laughs> Cut your mouth along that side, hoo hoo, and I'll throw something. <laughs> I've gained 30 pounds since that time, and she's lost 600 pounds since that time. Not all at one time, off and on, she gained 10, lose 20, and gain 15, lose 30. Swapping back and forth. She's looking for a man of vision and volition. Well, verse 29 said, well, there's no vision, the people perish. Wouldn't it be wonderful if some fellow here this morning got a vision and said, hey, if that's crazy, Primitive Baptist wind sucking, spitting, hollering, foot washing, preachers could do it, I could do it. Did you know the test of fellowship with me for years before the Nazi washed feet? I didn't know anything about the fundamentals of faith. I, I, I would fellowship with a fellow denied the virgin birth. I didn't know the importance of it, but I wouldn't fellowship with a fellow didn't wash feet. I thought feet washing was the essential. I still think you ought to wash your feet once a week. If you don't, when you put oil in your shoes, you'll disappear. <laughs> Every invention from the mousetrap to the most complicated computer was once only a blueprint in somebody's soul, but he stole it. If I told you what I was thinking now, you would think I'd say it. But I'm still seeing, and seeing, and seeing. Not only that, but our vision furnish us with gold for life, or I do. You see it, so you got something to drive for. There's a candy store in New York several years ago that had a slogan, We have no competitors except yesterday. They were not trying to make better candy than someone else, but they were trying to make better candy today than they made yesterday. And really, that should be our aim, not necessarily to make better candy than somebody else, but make better candy today than we made yesterday. Every preacher here ought to be like the artist who was asked, what is your best painting? And without hesitation, he said, my next one. My next one. What's the best week you ever had in the history of your church? Next week. What's the best sermon you ever preached? The one I'm going to preach next time is the best one. My next one. I'm going to get better and better and better and better Good, better, best. Don't let it rest till your good is your better and your better is your best. Just keep on going. Wait and It'd be very good if the fellows were in the ministry just play and get out. And those who are halfway in would decide whether they're going to get in or get out. I get to sick of preachers selling pots and pans and insurance and driving trucks and selling automobiles. Now don't look at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. I meant that. Fellow turned to me up the booth uh, yeah, yesterday before. He said, I was at the conference last year. I heard you preach. He said, I want you to know I resigned my job. He said, my church is triple in attendance. We're starting our Christian day school this August. 
I said, Amen, buddy. He just kept standing around crying and crying and crying. I said, God bless you. That's worth the whole conference as far as I'm concerned. We ought to keep preaching solid. But the man is God that God is looking for must not only have a vision, but he must have volition as well. He must have the will and determination to make the invisible material. He's got to have a bulldog tenacity that says, I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't quit. If everybody quits, I won't quit. If you can be stopped, the devil will stop you. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. wisely said, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. If I could have quit, I'd have quit years ago. I'd have quit when I went to serve the first time at the Lord's Supper. Remember, I'd never been to Bible college. I didn't know how you're supposed to do it. Had one deacon, 12 people. I took the white cloth off the table, and there sat one little white cup. And there sat a, a, a jug of wine purchased at a liquor store. And I don't know what the bread was. My first time to serve it, I got so disheartened, I wanted to just fall through the floor and never go back to that church. I could have worked the one cup out all right, but there were several snuff dippers in the congregation. <laughs> and they had a custom where they served everybody else first, and the cup came to the preacher last. I made a mental note there, and then from now we have two cups, one for the preacher and one for the congregation. But the Lord told me the snuff dipper who came and followed me, wanted to get saved, and the preacher said, Neil, that time here, we used to pray them through. We didn't take the Bible to them how to get saved, we prayed them through. They knelt down, and they prayed and prayed and prayed. By and by, the woman got tired and got up and sat on the front pew. The preacher kept on praying. He got tired, looked around, everybody's gone. He looked around, a woman sitting behind him on the front seat. He walked over to said, Sister, did you pray? She said, Yes, I said, I, so I sure did. Well, he said, You asked the Lord to save you? She said, Yes, I said, I sure did. Well, he said, What did the Lord say? She said, He said, Okie dokie. Imagine God leading out of heaven speaking in Hebrew. Okay, go. I can't tell you the experiences. I wish I could. Maybe it's all be a continuation. I think tonight. But all the times I wanted to quit, funny things that have happened, crazy things. I wanted to quit. Had a wedding one time, and one of the assistant pastors had rehearsed the wedding for me. I I got to where I wouldn't go to wedding rehearsals. I didn't need to practice. So they rehearsed him, and I asked, how's it going to go? And they told me, and the fellow was up singing a solo. And after the solo, he, they would have begun the uh, wedding march, and then the piece, uh, I was to go out, and then the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, and so on. And here he's up singing a solo, and some groomsmen back there got nervous and came down the aisle while the man sang the solo. And I thought, what is that idiot doing? He's helping somebody. Maybe somebody's sick, but he came all the way to the platform and stood on the platform. I said, oh, my goodness. And the guy singing the solo got nervous. He didn't know what to do. He, he figured he better keep singing to the rest of them came, so he kept singing the verses over and over, waiting for the other groomsmen. And all the groomsmen came down the aisle, one behind the other, as we got on the platform, and all the bridesmaids. And I thought, 
I need to get out there. I should have been the first one off. If they start, here comes the bride with that big fanfare. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun. And the bride gets there for I do. It'll be the first time in the history of the world the bride ever beats the preacher to the altar. I said, I'll have to get out there in a hurry. So I said to the best man and the groom, I said, listen, they all like that. we got to go. And about that time, the last bridesmaid made it, and the man closed his solo, and about the time I was running out, pulling the groom and the best man with me, the audience said, dun da da dun dun here comes the bride. Now it's marching out. <laughs> if I could have found a hole, I'd have went through it and quit. But that wasn't as bad as the fellow who had the wedding, and he said, if it be your intention to take this woman as your lawful wedded wife, would you please clasp her right hand? And he thought he said, clap, so he said... In an effort to direct things, he looked at the bride and said, if it be your intention to take this man as your husband, would you please clasp his right hand, hoping she'd reach over and grab his hand and stop the clapping. But she thought she misunderstood him. She knew the groom heard him right. So she looked at the groom, clapping. She just joined in and began to clap too. Then the preacher laid his Bible down and joined him and began to clap. They all got through clapping and went on with the ceremony. Huh? You've got to have determination. i got four more points. I don't have time for them. May I just give them to you? I'd like to preach them. Secondly, God's looking for a man of faith and firmness. Only those who believe do things. Emerson said they can conquer who believe they can. Henry Ford said if you think you can, you're right. If you think you're changed, you're right again, you won't be able to. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is it. You can do as much as you think you can, but you'll never accomplish more. If you're afraid of yourself, there's little for you in store. For fear comes from the inside first. It's there if you only knew it. And you can win, though you face the worst, if you feel that you can do it. And as your faith, so be it unto you. Paul said in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's good spiritual, scriptural optimism. I'm, I'm sufficient for any task that I may confront because God constantly infuses strength into me. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And God Almighty rewards faith. F.B. Meyer told of having supper one night. They were having steak. He said every once in a while he'd cut a little piece of steak off and give his old dog under the table. Mrs. Meyer saw it and said, don't give that dog that meat. When we get to eat, we'll give him a scratch. And F.B. Meyer said, I'd cut my steak and try to eat it. And he said, my old dog would lay his head up on my knee and just rub his head back and forth on my knee. He said, every time Mrs. Meyer turned the back, I'd cut off a big piece of steak and Throw it on the back and he said, such faith had to be rewarded. <laughs> a guy who launches out and just swings out over nothing and said, Lord, here I come. Have my hell, sink or swim, get fat or die skinny, I'm going to do it. And swings out and talks God. God will be faithful. 
to those who trust him as FB my word to his dog as he gets you grabbing your head on his knee and say, Lord, here I am. Still over here in Podunk, these outside calling, but I'm gonna build a bigger church in the state. Everybody else will laugh at you, but God will tell you to be sick every once in a while. A man of faith and firmness. He also needs a man of integrity and independence. I wish I could talk about the honesty that preachers ought to have. Honesty. We must be careful not to exaggerate. And there's a temptation. One of the greatest soul winners in the world was a bad exaggerator. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, one that went around the town, like the one the whole town to Christ, didn't quote a Bible verse. She exaggerated. She said, Come, come see a man that told me all that ever I did is not this to Christ. He didn't tell her the things she ever did. He told her she'd been married five times, even the man wasn't her husband. We got to learn to be honest. When a preacher loses his credibility, he loses power in his preaching. I've been in meetings where a guy got up and said, the greatest need in the world is this. And he contradicts himself five times in his sermon. Because in the next point he said, the greatest need in the world is this. Now everything can't be the greatest, the biggest, the most beautiful, the sweetest, the bitterest, the highest, the broadest, and the widest. Every sermon can't be the greatest sermon you ever heard could be up in that time. We must be careful to be honest and truthful in our preaching. A man of integrity and independence. And when a man has integrity, he can afford to be independent. Great men don't kowtow to anybody. They don't have to. The guy, the guy who has to kowtow to everybody is trying to make himself look like something he's not. I've never known John Rice, Dr. John Rice, to kowtow to anybody for any reason. When he, knew, when he knew the majority was against him, he'd come out with the truth anytime. That's what makes him great. Most preachers will ask the general during the French Revolution. He said, I must find out where my people are going so I can lead them. Be honest. Somebody asked a slave when he was being bid for it, if I buy you, will you be honest? And the slave said, I'll be honest whether you buy me or not. Heard this story this week, Peter's story. Boy in the church is bad to lie. He told the biggest lies about everything. He just imagined all kind of horrible things. And the preacher tried to teach him a lesson, so the preacher said to him, Son, listen, let me tell you a story. He said, One day we were having meetings, church packed full of people. And he said, This great big bear came out of the woods. So he was taller than the church, he had to bow down to get in the church door. So this big old bear came in and began to just grab people and eat them up. And he said, Some, this little bitty fast dog came running to the door and jumped that bear and killed him right there in the church. The boy said, he said, Son, you believe that story? He said, Yes, sir, that was my dog. <laughs> you can't beat a liar, they'll top you on anything. You had a hundred last week, they got 150. You're not going to outdo a lie. God looking for a man of integrity and independence. God looking for a man of decision and dependability that I can't cover. And then God looking for a man of patience and perseverance that I don't have time for. And God looking for a man, I wish I had an hour for this one, a man of power and prayer. You may as well try to beat back the tide with a pitchfork as you try to do God's work without the Holy Spirit. 
I heard sermons in 1961 that created me an appetite for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I read a book entitled Deeper Experiences of a Famous Christian that created me a desire and an appetite for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All I can say to you is if you get hungry enough for it, you'll get it. He that thirsted, let him come unto me and drink. Not of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This day here the Holy Spirit is supposed to come. You're in a good congregation. God's looking for a man. Well, you get if somebody left in said, I'm going back to my town. And I don't care if every preacher in town laughs at me and makes fun of me and throws wet blankets on me. I'm going back to my town. And my goal is to build the largest church in my county. Would you get if some preacher here said, I'm going back to my town. And my goal from now to the time I die is to baptize a convert, at least one convert a week. I can win at least one myself and get him down the aisle. I got Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If I can't get him Sunday morning, I'll spend all afternoon Sunday going so winning until I get somebody. If I can't get him, I got Monday, Tuesday, and all day Wednesday, and I won't do anything else till I get a soul one down the aisle to that get if some preacher made that kind of a set that kind of a goal for himself here. And not only got the vision for it, but had the volition, the will, and the determination to go back. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust.